Welcome everyone to this, the 12th in the series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name's Tracy Parr and I'm Director of Transformation for Good Thinking, London's mental wellbeing service. Many people are going online to help them at this difficult time. And today, our clinical director, Dr. Richard Graham, is in discussion with Annie Mullins, an independent online safety expert. Richard and Annie are going to be discussing how to use online communities safely and effectively. Over to you, Richard and Annie. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Annie, for joining us today and, and giving your time. One of the things that we've learned about in health for some years now is that when people are struggling with both their physical health and mental health, one of the things that really is helpful to them is to go online and to be part of a group, sometimes a community, that helps them meet people like me. And in the background of good thinking, one of the things Londoners were wanting was to be able to talk to people like me about whatever it was that was causing them difficulties. Now, of course, that can be a great opportunity but you've learnt over many years now that going online is not without risk. I don't want to sort of emphasise the risk too much because I think what we want is to help Londoners sort of find ways of being able to make use of online resources and communities, but without sort of having to be too worried about that. How would you advise someone who wanted to go online to find support, how they might go about making use of all those wonderful opportunities? I think... It's very much like any group that you might join or a new neighbourhood that you might go to, that you probably have to be quite cautious to begin with, so you find a place that you feel is right for you and that, you know, and on joining, that there is a sense that there's some rules that are available that you can understand. So firstly, how do you understand what it is you're joining? Who's in charge? Is there anybody in charge? And I think very importantly, a lot of, you know, the good practice in this area with any online community is that, you know, they would give you the guidelines in the first instance that this is the rules of joining this group. I mean, I join many Facebook groups for my hobbies, you know, I'm in a a walking group, hiking groups, uh, my minivan, you know, my camper van groups where, you know, we share a lot and it's my interest. But certainly even Facebook groups, the moderators, and they could become quite big communities the first thing you get is, you know, a sense of what the rules are and that there are people that are going to take charge of that and going to keep the community relatively as safe and as convivial, really. What what, what you don't want is big rows breaking out and people expressing very negative emotions and feelings and the sense that everybody has some responsibility. So I think before any group, and I don't think it matters if it's even a WhatsApp group or, as I said, a a Facebook group that you might join. It's having a sense that there's some boundaries in there, there's some guidelines, and that there are people in charge that will take control of any difficult situations. And just as you would in the real world, that you would look to see the cues of what's expected of your behaviour, how are you expected to behave, and how are others, what can you expect? So um, I spend my time, a lot of my time, working with teens online. I work for an app called Ubo, which is very much about kids making friends with other people. And I spend a lot of my time trying to help them be more cautious about taking their time to get to know people. You know, fools rush in, I think, is the old adage. And that's the same for all of us. I don't think it's just peculiar to teens who very quickly form quick relationships. And before you know where they're at, they're sharing a lot of information about themselves and sometimes too much information and sometimes 
find themselves getting exploited, very innocently sharing things, but then it's used against them. And I'm not suggesting people offering or giving support, you know, that's going to happen, but it can happen. And uh, I think, again, it's about slowly taking your time, getting to know people and building up some trust and really observing the, perhaps the community and the statements and the way that people behave before you rush in with how you feel. Because it is exciting to find that there are like-minded people and I enjoy the communities I'm a member of, you know, of uh, finding out about my van parts or have I got this, have I got that, where to go on my camping trips and all that kind of thing. But I have seen times where it very quickly, you know, people get annoyed and irritated and express that. And so, again, think before you post, I think, is a key thing that we try to instill in young people. But I think adults themselves would benefit from thinking a lot before we react to something, even if it makes us annoyed or angry. Uh, I think that's the moment where things can get out of control. We see things escalate online much more quickly than in real life. So those things you want to avoid, so taking your time, understanding where you are, getting a sense of how it works, and slowly, you know, building up a picture and feeling that it is safe for you, but also being in control of yourself and measured and thoughtful about the things you're sharing. Because what you don't want to do is share things and then go away and worry that you've shared too much. So it sounds like make sure you know what the rules are for that community, the house rules first. Mm. Perhaps take a bit of time not just to jump in feet first, as you say, and rush in, but to kind of get a sense of what the community is about, how the people connect with each other, and then work out whether that's right for you and perhaps dipping your toe in the water to extend that metaphor to just check out, you know, not giving away too much until you've kind of got to know people a bit. And I think that's the same as you would do in real life. You wouldn't meet someone in a pub and tell them everything about your life. You know, you want to slowly get to know people. And, you know, that might be, I think, firstly, a nice thing is that you get welcome to the community. And, you know, that someone expresses and explains that, as I said, these are the rules and these are the expectations of your behavior and of others. And, you know, you, you can gently get a sense of what's going on and just observing some of the discussion and, and before you take the leap into yeah well one of the things that you've touched on of course is the sheer variety of communities and sometimes it might be really nice although a bit frustrating at the moment to be in a community about hiking or camping trips perhaps when we're all in isolation <laughs> but at the same time you know there are very specific health communities where people have all sorts of ideas about what to do for the best and there can be some not just angry and upset people but also some loud voices how do you think people should approach some of those communities where sometimes feelings run high about issues that you know could make a huge difference to your health even to your life I think the same applies, really, even, you know, being careful how much you share of yourself until you really are safe and that there's a sense of some of that heatedness because we're all passionate. We all have strong feelings about things that happen, even in just in daily life or is on the news or something can set off a whole discussion. And that there's a sense of containment about that and that people do step in to just calm things and remind the community that, you know, this is a place for sharing and listening to each other. And I think all of us have to deal with what's real and not real in terms of news and information about health or well-being. 
I have to say, even my GP, when she found out I worked with online companies, she said she made a plea to me that a lot of people were sharing information that was not correct medically. And she was quite disturbed and, and I really wanted to do something about it because she felt it was potentially harming people um, who were taking that as read. You know, they were reading it as, as fact. So I think we all have to, in a sense, we're talking about media literacy of, of you know, thinking through where we get our information from, who's saying it why they're saying it and so having a very dispassionate and and keeping our critical faculties going whilst we're engaging with others particularly around subjects and topics that we feel very passionate about ourselves. Do you recommend the use of fact-checking sites to kind of get a sense check of whether some advice or information that's being pushed at you? I think we have to use trusted sources for sure. I think that's where good thinking and, you know, health based sites like, you know, good thinking and and others in the NHS. I often go to NHS direct to check any symptoms I may have because you want that assurance and authority that what you're experiencing is factual and based on on science, uh, you know, as, as best it can be. So I do think, you know, those authoritative sites are important. And it sounds like this whole situation we're in is kind of like a wake-up call to those of us in health that unless we engage in that way and provide information that people can relate to, can use, there's a risk that those misinformation messages sort of spread without any sort of checking and people sometimes then are persuaded to do things that may be risky. Well, there's just been the situation with the 5G towers, which I think one was burnt, wasn't it, after online misinformation that it was connected to COVID-19 and and so forth. And, uh, and that we know is just fiction. And I know YouTube and other sites have begun to take some of that inf- misinformation down. But obviously, it's already spread by that to a significant amount. So, you know, and I've had people ask me, do you think 5G is dangerous? Or, you know, it's a topical discussion for sure. You know, there are issues and uh, what have you. But being linked to COVID-19, really not appropriate to people to be spreading that kind of, and it's fear-mongering. And I think we have to be concerned that we don't get caught up in fear-mongering. And I think that's another thing about being in communities is that you don't jump down a rabbit hole, you know, where you spend hours going through on one particular thread about, uh, you know, or discussion. And I think being able to draw yourself back and have a break because, you know, it is fun and it is great to meet and connect to people, particularly if you're isolated and on your own, you do want the contact. But I think we also have to give ourselves a break, like all things. And again, it's something we reiterate with teens, as you know, that parents, when we're helping them manage young people's online behavior, is that they need breaks. You need to get out. You need to have a walk. You need to to do other things than constantly gaming or, or talking or whatever it is you're doing. So I think that applies to adults as much as it does, you know, when we're trying to parent children. Really useful tip then. Because when we're feeling anxious, I guess it's not easy always to make the right judgments. And so if you're feeling anxious about something or, or as you say, in, in a sort of fear-mongering way, some information is, is making you feel more anxious, maybe better to step back, switch off for a bit 
and then look at some trusted sources to kind of get that sense check. But you do need the break to kind of rebalance. Well, I think we found that ourselves, haven't we? You know, everybody's having to turn off a bit from the news because it's overwhelming and it's 24 hours and you can sit and watch Sky News all day if you wish and then switch to the BBC. You know, it becomes toxification of experience, really. You know, it's toxifying in some way and it gets under your skin and, and I think it does make us all feel very anxious. So I know myself and a lot of friends, we've been diverting our activities so as not to feel so overwhelmed and anxious, particularly managing anxiety. And we know that people are losing sleep. So I think, yeah, switching off, not getting too caught up in these things online before you go to bed is really important because we all need our sleep at the moment. We need to keep ourselves well and get as much sleep as we can. And if you get caught up in a discussion you know it can you can feel quite raw I think about things and yeah that that's not looking after yourself well so so good self-care is another way of helping manage some of the pressures some of the difficulties around misinformation good night's sleep and a good diet and being active and drinking enough water might all help you sort of make a good call if someone is saying something you're not quite sure of Yeah, and just being cautious, just keep using the word cautious and not getting drawn in or going down the rabbit hole as I describe it, but also resisting pressure if you're getting pushback or, you know, about contributing or why don't you say more? What do you really think? I think we have to, it's up to ourselves to decide what we want to say or not say. And I think you can too quickly find yourself under pressure And particularly if you also want to help somebody, you may find yourself wanting to help somebody. But I think in communities, keeping things in the public space is very important because there are others there to help and guide as well, that you're not alone. So a lot of apps and services will have private chats or private messaging, as it's referred to. And I I would avoid some of that. And until you're some way where you really do feel you've got a relationship with somebody You know, certainly initially, again, I spent a lot of time trying to nudge young people carefully to think about what they're sharing and who they're connecting to. Better to do that in public, really, so that you have got the safety and the support of that community and that you don't find yourself taken off into a private messaging or discussion with somebody where you could find yourself quite vulnerable or put under quite a lot of pressure or manipulated And that can happen quite quickly, I think. As I said, I spent a lot of time with teens trying to help them really draw back a little bit and think carefully about giving out your email address, giving out your telephone number. Uh, All these things can be used to find you and suddenly you can feel very paranoid. And they've certainly been used with teens to, you know, get them to share nudes, for example, and then, you know, further aspects of that because they feel they have no choice because they've given out such personal information where they live or the phone number all these things can be looked up and checked so I always would advise people to you know keep back your personal information. Mm. There's a really helpful point as well to to make sure you stay in the sort of public spaces within a community where I, I guess sometimes it's even a pressure to just be agreeing with someone that could be too much when you you don't particularly agree with them if they have strong held views But I think the other thing that perhaps also can happen in those private chat spaces, private messaging conversations, is also, particularly around health, you might sometimes feel you've got to be giving too much support to someone. They may be having a really bad time, but you've also got your own needs. How do you suggest people sort of manage that? Is that also a case where keeping it in the community, where the whole community can support someone is better? 
I think so. And I think more people there, the better. And and people are vulnerable and people do need. And I've been part of a COVID-19 local group or WhatsApp group. And I'm watching that, you know, quite carefully and and recognising that I can't go out and help the old lady down the road with what have you, because I'm vulnerable. I have asthma and, you know, under government instructions or guidelines, I need to be careful with myself. So, there's an example where that community it's best that people who can step up do and sometimes there's a lag in time and you think oh I'm a bit worried now and you just have to wait it out so that other people do pick up on it which they do you know which has been great about that local my local community is that they've organized very well and they've shared information publicly but everything is public and there have been reminders for people to remove the personal information of somebody like their address and if somebody is going to visit somebody that they need to, they will go uh, into pr- a private message to do that, which is appropriate because that's the person visiting, but not exposing that vulnerable person to the whole community with their details. So I have been observing that, which I, I think it's worked pretty well, actually. But it's a good reminder that I can't jump in and just go and help somebody because I may put them at risk. I may put myself at risk. And that's where the whole community is an asset, really. Yeah, yeah. And you you remind us that we've been talking with a psychologist who says, you know, one of the most important things you can do is kind of be in touch with yourself and recognize how you're feeling, what your situation is. So when it comes to supporting others, you've got to be absolutely sort of aware of what your needs are, what your situation is, and and not just put yourself and potentially that, that other person at risk if you kind of feel you've got to go more than you can manage further than you can manage, I should say. Yeah, and and I think also what's important is that, you know, you don't put up with things that you wouldn't do in ordinary life, face-to-face, you know, being put under pressure or anybody disrespecting you or trying to be offensive or hurtful. Uh, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to accept it. And, you know, and there should be ways to be able to say to the moderator of the community who's managing it, look, this is not acceptable. But I think also just because it's online, I think we, our tolerances seem to shift either up or down uh, where we're too quick off the mark to say what we think. Or we're also the other way that we can put up with more abuse than we should. And I think that's important to to know your own level of what you can deal with and what you can't. Because it's not nice for somebody to say something rude and angry towards you because you've expressed something that they don't agree with. And it can undermine your self-confidence and create more anxiety. So I think going into these things, just thinking through a few points about what you won't put up with, what you feel you can deal with and what you can tolerate and some people are not so hurt by comments or things, but I think it can work in reverse sometimes when we're seeking support and then we get a kind of negative response. And that's where I would hope the community would step in and the moderators of that group are able to step in. And, and I do see that uh, happen on some of the groups I belong in, where the moderator says, look, we've removed some comments and we just want to remind the whole community to pull it back in a little bit and remember to be respectful and not they don't allow a kind of continuous stream of uh, comments that are, are hurtful or you know angry or upset and those are you know I really respect those you know leaders who take that time in those groups to do that but that's what you're looking to see happen 
And if you don't see that happening and you do see abusive comments and interactions, then I think there's a real question about being in that community. They need to be managed and anybody who's following good guidelines before they set up a group or a community where people can meet must have some good practice guidelines. They are available. There are social media guidelines that even the UK government have produced and about moderation and about how we do these things. And they need to be implemented because bringing lots of people together, we all bring our good and our bad parts to these things. And there are inevitably in human interactions going to be conflict and so forth. And that has to be realised from the very beginning and has to be managed. It cannot be left to run unrestrained. That's really helpful. So if you either experience yourself, someone who is kind of making personal comments or undermining you, putting you down, I guess, or seeing that in others going on, that might be something to report and knowing how to report that to the moderators. But if if that goes unchecked, if, if there isn't someone taking charge of that, that might be a community where you'd really question being a member. Yeah. Because that's what makes people feel safe. That's keeping the safety of the community. And it's not that that the moderators have to be um, punitive. I think a good moderator will be somebody who deals well in communicating the boundaries, the rules, the expectations, and reminding the community, particularly if there are vulnerable people in that community, you know, one would imagine it needs more input to keep things on an even keel for people to benefit from it. So, yeah. And I think one of the important things is that sometimes when people have had mental health difficulties themselves, they're not always very good at protecting themselves or or standing up for themselves, perhaps, and and really encouraging people if they're concerned about anything to make use of those reporting opportunities, those functions in a community is something it sounds like you'd really encourage. Yeah, I guess the the part we haven't talked about perhaps is the tools, you know, uh, that are available on any community. And of course, reporting, you know, as I said earlier, being able to get in touch with the moderator and report behaviour or content that you're not happy about or you feel is, you know, inappropriate, then th- those have to be to your fingertips, really. And the whole thing of blocking tools as well, being able to block somebody you actually don't want to hear any more from or it's just too much for you for whatever reasons. You don't have to to have a huge reason but you just know that that's not helping you in any way so I think the tools are important and people who set up the communities should have those tools uh, it's pretty standard now that those are available and again it takes us back to that principle that you need to be in touch with yourself and if something's making you feel uncomfortable being honest about that with yourself and then using the tools that are available to protect yourself or to call for extra support yeah are there any other things that you think of you know, that perhaps might sort of relate to, you know, everybody is going online at the moment. There are requests to Skype or Zoom, using Teams, whatever it is. You know, there's WhatsApp groups, mushrooming. Is there a problem that we are, in a way, in this coronavirus pandemic, kind of jumping online a bit too much feet first? Is it getting too much? Yeah, I think I think that's my personal experience is that I'm finding myself wanting to draw back a bit because there's a lot of being online. House parties are a very popular app at the moment. Only last night I was with some friends in there. Some of them meet every night, for example. But I think, well, I'm I'm kind of a bit bored by that really because I haven't got anything else to say. <laughs> They're not listening. <laughs> bored of myself. I'm bored of. Well, we're all sat at home, and maybe you know. I mean, it's kind of interesting when 
certain things happen in the news perhaps to sort of chat over with a few people but we keep those quite short really because we are a bit boring so I find myself retreating back and then setting up time when I can talk to friends like I've got one today I'm talking to a friend I haven't been in touch with for a long time but now we have space we are going to set that up but I I didn't do it last week I thought no I'll keep that for later next week because I'd like to talk rather than all at once you're talking to everybody all at once I kind of wanted to spread it out so I've taken a bit of control and I've also chosen to to not participate in every group and online chat going and sort of keep it all almost a little bit special really you know those interactions and having the time because it can all kind of melt into one big pot and I just find myself getting a little tired and wanting a bit of retreative time to listen to music or read my book or what have you as well but uh, yeah it's just the balance I think it's like all things in life we have to have a balance and not let it um, take us over really or, or feel that we're missing out because we're not online every minute of the day you know that we choose what we want and how we want to be with people just the same way as we do in our ordinary life you know you don't go out every night of the week with all your friends <laughs> you kind of spread it out a little bit and uh, enjoy them and savor it a little bit so that's how I've personally been dealing with it but yeah I think we can ever do everything can't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it sounds like a really nice idea to kind of plan and structure your online times with your friends and family so it doesn't become sort of excessive in that, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that offline. And just replacing everything with masses of online contact isn't necessary the way forward yeah I think you know I, I've done the dinner party thing you know where we all sat with our dinner and our glass of wine and enjoyed that and, and that was really nice but again we planned it and it felt special and just as it would if it was in real life you're going out for dinner albeit we were online in front of our computers with our dinner <laughs> but you know behaving much as we do normally really is probably a wise thing to just keep control of it and balance it and enjoy it and savor it and enjoy those moments of interaction that I certainly I've been catching up with friends I haven't spoke to personally for a, a while really and I've enjoyed it. It sounds like another thing to stay connected with is your past in terms of what you did before the coronavirus pandemic still works. We haven't changed that much as people even if a lot around us has so that's a really good tip. But it's also a fantastic segue into the next part of the podcast, Annie. <laughs> we like to end with a kind of way of getting to know you better by asking you a question about what you would do if you could, when going into isolation or lockdown, if you could take three famous or prominent people with you, who would you take into isolation? Well, I thought about this a little bit because I knew this was going to come up as a question and I thought, what would I want to do? I thought partly I'd like to be entertained, partly I'd like to learn. So I came up with a few things. I came up with Simon Sharma, the historian, because I used to listen a lot to Radio 4 and the histories of possibly the plague right now and the medieval stories around that. So I, I thought that that would be quite a mesmerising, learningful experience. I don't necessarily think it would be for him, <laughs> but for me, I could <laughs> learn a lot. So I thought he would be a jolly person to have along. And then I thought about dystopia and Margaret Atwood came to mind. 
<laughs> obviously because of times that we're in at the moment. And yeah, I think talking to her would be such a fascinating experience of where she's had her ideas from and the books that she's written and these ideas that she's been playing with for a very long time, some of which seem to be coming to happen in real life to some extent. So I, I think she would be a really interesting person. And then I thought about, yeah, music's a big important part of my life. I think you said to me, you'd, you'd have to take Bob Harris. And once you'd said that to me, I thought, well, I would have to take Bob Harris now. <laughs> you know, and uh, I love his broadcasts. And he's been a, a very important part of my life in terms of music and, you know, that he introduces you to. And I listen every week avidly to his broadcasts from his, his shed down in the uh, <laughs> Oxfordshire and yeah I'd hope that we could go through a history of music and things that are important and have been a broad section of music as well. Yeah so that sounds like the isolation period would fly with those three with all of them having so much to say and with Margaret Atwood somebody who can look into the abyss as well. <laughs> okay well you are allowed to take a piece of media we say media because it could be a book film, piece of music, recording of a sporting event or a play. What would you take in that sense to sort of help you through? Well, I thought I might take something quite challenging that wasn't necessarily um, I would learn again. I seem to be into learning at the moment. I don't know why. But I thought the four works of Wagner would be – I listen to excerpts of Wagner, which I love, but I, I don't feel I've had a full appreciation of the beginning to end of Wagner. So I thought that would be something – and you could play that over and over again so you really got a strong sense of that whole works, really. So that's where I came out. Okay, so something really substantial, where you probably, even in a prolonged period of isolation, only get through it a few times, but <laughs> nonetheless would have something of substance to learn from, as well as, yeah, perhaps some of the people in there with you, like Simon Sharma, might have some interesting insights. Well, of course, of course, because of Wagner's political past in, in history, yes. Yeah, uh, there's a very controversial figure. Finally, you're allowed a luxury. Well, I don't know if my luxury comes all together, but it has to be my hi-fi, <laughs> my multimedia system with my big TV and my, you know, hi-fi and, and bringing all that together. As long as I've got that. I'm not sure you'll be, be doing anything more than playing Wagner, but I suppose if it's just that, we could allow you. Okay, well, you can let me have that then. I think the TV, well, I, I suppose it could be a, a video of a, an opera or something, but otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, the traditional breaking of the rules and squeezing in something has happened yet again in this podcast. But anyway, that is a really helpful description, Annie, of some of the ways in which people could approach online communities from someone like yourself who's got that experience, not just of moderating them, but of actually being part of them and the way... They can be so interesting and stimulating and helpful, but at the same time can cause some discomfort as well. So I think anybody listening to this might be able to think again about how to approach online communities and, and get the best out of them. So thank you. Okay, you're welcome. I hope it's helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs>